Welcome to the Folio Podcast, where we talk to leaders, experts, and some very smart people in the architecture, engineering, and construction industry. We discuss the building construction lifecycle and everything that revolves around it, including design, FF&E, specification, procurement, and building information modeling. My name is Ingrid Velasquez-Woodley, and this podcast is brought to you by Folio. Folio is a product specification, procurement, and data management software for the AEC industry. With Folio, you can manage your budgeting, specification, purchasing, inventory, and product data processes from end-to-end. Go to folio.com and schedule your demo today. That's F-O-H-L-I-O.com. Hey everyone, in this episode, we have David Fouché, one of Folio's product and marketing advisors, giving a high-level rundown of a building's life cycle and what happens during each phase. If you're new to the industry or are thinking of expanding your services to provide value adds, for example, if you're a design firm looking at expanding into procurement services, then this could be useful to you. Before we begin, I want to give you a heads up that there is a visual element to this conversation that you need to keep in mind. You'll hear David referring to a building lifecycle data diagram by the Royal Institution of Chartered Surveyors. It shows the phases of building construction from programming to schematic design, all the way to construction and operations and maintenance. It also shows where phase-specific and lifecycle data begin and end. It's not 100% crucial to see this diagram to make sense of the conversation, but it does help. If you want to see it, you can go to folio.com blog and find our article on what you need to know about building lifecycle data. All right, let's begin. Let's look at, at the phases a building goes through. So up in the upper right corner here, I'm pointing to programming. And what programming is, is saying, what are we building? It's an airport. Uh, how many gates are we going to have? How many flights do we expect in and out? Where's, you know, um, how big do you need the, the, the traffic control tower? Where is actual tra- air traffic control going to be located? They're usually not located on site. Usually air traffic control is in a different building miles away. You're trying to decide, okay, are we going to have retail? Are we going to have restaurants? How much? How many square feet of this? All of that's in programming. You're in, you mm-hmm. haven't drawn a line. You're just getting the basic facts of what you're going to build. Okay. okay? Then you move into schematic design, which is you're doing some rough sketches. You're just trying to figure out where's how is the building going to locate on the site. Um, you look at square footage. You know, it's it's like um it's like an artist's sketch, if you will. We're just starting to get going. Okay. Design development is um, it's really just a word for between schematics and construction documentation. So let me explain construction documentation. Construction documentation is saying uh, I need to. I need to draw up drawings and construction specifications, which is different than folio specs. It's that full-blown three-part thing that I talked about. So you, it tells the contractor general stuff like submittals. Specs also um, identify uh, materials or products that you can use, and then it tells you how to install it, how to store it, how to test it, all these other things. Those are pretty big documents. The drawings and the specs go together. And that's what's called construction documentation. So an architect and a design team, a structural engineer, electrical engineer, they have to put together a series of documents, drawings and specs, that say that tell the contractor this is what we're going to build in enough detail that he can put a price to it. Mm, okay. And that's kind of the key because the, con- the contractor is going to come to it and say, I can build this for $1 million. And if it's a bid situation, he knows that, that the client may well choose the lowest bid. 
So he's going to keep his bid low because he's in competition with two or three other contractors. Mm-hmm. But those drawings and specs have to be tight enough for him to, 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 to create a good bid. Yeah. Okay? So that's what construction document is. Between schematics and construction documents is design development. That's where we took the sketch and we got it to where we're locking down on the actual where the walls are going to be exactly, how wide are the, are the, the, the hallways, what kind of lighting we use. Um, is it going to be the kind of stuff we have here? Are they going to be sconces? Are we doing wall lighting? All of that is, de- is decided at the end of design development. When you're done with design development, your design is done, basically. From then on, you're just tweaking. You're tweaking because as you get into construction documents, you realize, oh, that's actually not going to work the way we thought it was going to work. So instead of like over there, I've got, we've got five little ceiling you know, lights above mm-hmm. the, the bar area. That's not going to give us enough light. Now that we're doing our calculations, we really need four. We need six of them or something. Okay. So that's going to change, but the basic design is not. The basic, you know, or they're going to look at, when it comes to interiors, they're going to look at all of these, this woodwork in this room and say, you know what, that woodwork is, um, the, the, the lead times on that are incredible. We can't get that, so we're going to do something else instead. So they change, they're going to make those kinds of decisions during construction documents. But they're not going to change the fundamental design. Is that what this is for? Design options? Yeah. Well, sometimes you do develop design options because you may be like, we don't really know what we want to do here. Let's design, let's, let's create two or three options. Okay. We know roughly how it's going to work, but we need two or three options to look at so that we can say, yeah, option two is the best option. That's really what we're going to go with. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. Then you get into construction documentation. Like I said, that's the drawings and the specifications that the contractor is going to use to actually build. This is a really important point because, or point in time, because legally, that's like a line in the sand. There's a big legal line right there. It's pretty, it's pretty solid. Because anything that changes to the construction documentations after that line, uh, the contractor can claim a change order. He can ask for more money. Yep. Now, sometimes a change order will be less money. Mm-hmm. So the, con- the architect comes back and says, you know what, we're going to use a, a cheaper light fixture, so we're expecting a change order for less money. You're gonna, we're not gonna, it's going to cost you less. And that does happen. So um, those changes, and that's what's called value engineering. Okay, yeah. The bid comes in too high, so the architect goes back to sort of mm-hmm. the drawing board and says, all right, well, how can, we, how can we cut costs here? What can we cut out of this building? We're going to cut this whole wing. We're going to cut three gates out of the airport, whatever it is. Okay? Um, then you procurement of trades. That's saying the contractor then says, all right, I got this thing, and I'm going to go hire this mechanical, this electrical, all of these other. Th- these guys are going to do concrete. These guys are going to do steel. The general contractor really doesn't build anything himself. He organizes all the other trades that are going to build. You go into construction. Closeout means you literally... Um, it's a period where the owner walks the building, usually the architect's involved or the structural engineer, whoever, to walk the building and say, yes, everything's working the way it should be. Okay. And we're going to close out the contract and we're going to prove that this building is what we thought it was going to be. It meets all the requirements that we had. Yes, everything's in place. Everything's working. I flip the lights on. They come on. The air conditioning is keeping the, you know, the temperature at 70 degrees or whatever. All of that happens during closeout. At closeout, does it already include FF&E? Yeah, it'd be everything. Okay. Usually it's everything. Now, sometimes they have what's called um, owner furnished, owner installed. Yeah. Okay. And that's stuff that the owner says, that's not part of your contract. I just need space for it. 
So the in this case, like for this convene area, I'm guessing the contractor did not bring all these tables in. Yeah. Right? But he did clean the floors and provide all the electrical outlets where they're supposed to be. Mm -hmm. So they tested all that, they closed it out, then they brought all the furniture in. Deal? Nice. Yep. Once that's done, oh, and the other big piece of closeout is that the, the building inspector has to come in and give you a certificate of occupancy. So the building inspector, is a, as a city official or a local official, works for the government, the local government, who walks the building, looks at the drawings, and makes sure that it meets code. And that is, it, what he's really, he or she's really trying to do is make sure that this building is safe for people to be inside. And the, that it's and a safe building. So it's safe to occupy, basically, yeah. is what the, okay. Yeah. That kind of safety is everything from these floors aren't, these floors are too slippery, mm -hmm. to you don't have any exit lights showing me how to get out. Like, I'm looking around right now, I don't see anything that tells me how to exit this building. Yeah. That's kind of a problem. Because if the fire alarm goes off, see, there's the fire alarm. I wouldn't necessarily know which way to go. So there needs to be signage that tells me the exit is this way. So I'm not sure what's going on in the space. Maybe it's, you know, they got a waiver or maybe I'm, I'm missing something. But either way, he's also going to check to make sure doors are wide enough, make sure that uh, toilets are handicap accessible, um, that your emergency lighting's working, um, all the, that the sprinkler system's working, all that stuff. Is that too much info? No, 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 that's great. Okay. So that's what closeout typically involves is all of that mm -hmm. stuff. Then you go into operations and maintenance. And that's when the, the owner owns a building and he's going to do ongoing maintenance. The light bulbs, anything from the light bulbs need to be changed to we got a problem with the electrical on floor six. And they got to go bring in a contractor to do something. Or there was a leak in the roof and we need somebody to clean all this stuff up and we're going to have to replace the HVAC unit or we're going to have to do this or this pump's not working or whatever it is. Gotcha. Uh, okay. Yep. Okay. So that's the life cycle of a building. Mm -hmm. And the reason it, it becomes a circle is that at some point, you decide to renovate the building, you retrofit it. Um, um, sometimes you demolish it, obviously, and then it would be a dead end. But at, at some point, that building's gonna go through a major either renovation or a, a, re, a retrofit or something, and that whole process starts over again. An office building like the one we're in right now, that's continuous because you got new tenants all the time and they're yeah. going to go through a smaller version of this circle. Got it. Um, is that helpful? Yes. Okay. Currently, where do you think all their data is? Well, this is the whole problem that Folio and everybody else is trying to ha handle. And this is what this diagram is talking about is you look at the data, mm -hmm. right? The blue sort of gray represents data that actually does carry through without stopping. That's life cycle data they're calling it. The green is phase specific data is what they're calling it. Specific to that particular phase and it's not that useful. The chops in the diagram are, are pointing out that every time you go to a different phase you lose data. Data, is, I shouldn't say lost, um, data stops to be useful. Some data is lost. Mm -hmm. The biggest one, notice this huge one up here at construction strategy options. Mm -hmm. So you've got all this data that you built and all of a sudden when you go to construction, everybody recognizes there's a huge loss of data at that point. The reason is because the architect legally is only required to turn over drawings and specs like in a PDF form. All that data in the Revit model, all that data that they have even in like Folio, they're not gonna turn it over to the contractor. 
because legally they're not required to, and nobody's paying them to give that to the contractor. So they don't. They're they're pretty um, protective of not just giving giving stuff away. And what's the value in keeping it to yourself? Um, you're protecting your own interests. Um, but there's another piece of it. The Revit model for most contractors is not useful. They can't use the Revit model. Why not? A whole variety of reasons. It was designed for design. It was built for design intent or how it took for design. It wasn't built for construction. Okay. Here's my, ba- my favorite example. Mm-hmm. This concrete slab and the concrete walls, any concrete wall in a building, you have to build in control joints. Otherwise, because concrete will expand. Yeah. So you got to build in these control joints and in some cases expansion joints. Mm-hmm. There's also what's called pour joints. You can't just pour 60 feet of concrete. you got to do it in lifts. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So those pour joints are really critical to the contractor so he can schedule when and he, he's going to schedule this much concrete, this volume of concrete for this date to be poured. But the Brevet model has none of that in it. For two reasons. One, architects don't care. They're going to draw a line, say, putting control joints every 20 feet or whatever. Second, it's up to the contractor to decide how he wants to pour that wall, how many, how many feet he wants to do and when. So the architect doesn't control those, those pour joints. It's completely up to the contractor. This is very enlightening. And if we do, if the architects do try to, or the structural engineer tries to tell them where to pour the concrete, yeah. it's going to increase your bid because the contractor's like, I don't have as much leeway. Now I've got more shit to deal with. I got to deal with what you're telling me to do versus my way. Correct. I suddenly yeah. have to work your way instead of my way. Yep. 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 Okay. So that's why this, there's this big j- loss of data right there. So what this diagram is trying to say is that point out here is a couple things, but the gray, what's in key about the gray is they're saying this is data that's life cycle data, not just phase specific. Got it. And, and what we, there's a little bit in the beginning. It's an airport located in Houston. Great. That's a tiny little bit of data, but that's going to carry through all the way to the end. And as the life cycle builds, that data grows. We're going to add chairs. We're going to add concrete. We're going to do the pour test to make sure that it passed. We're going to add this HVAC unit with its warranty information. We're going to add all this stuff that keeps getting added along, builds that data, and that data becomes hugely valuable later. Suddenly, it's freaking freezing in Terminal 6. Okay, what do we do? How do you fix that problem? You have to go check out the air handler unit, maybe. Mm-hmm. Well, who is, whose is it? Is it a train? I don't know what the manufacturer is. So now somebody's got to go walk on the roof, look for a label somewhere, or they have that data in a database. They say, we know exactly what it was. We know that it hasn't been maintenanced in six years. And we have this, this record of, hey, no, we did change the filters every six months like we were supposed to. We did all this change stuff, and it's still failing. We're going to call a train. They're going to come out and replace it themselves because it's failed. Is it still under warranty? Crap, we missed the warranty by three days. All right, so what is our backup plan? Uh, if that data exists, then they can go do that. Then they can fix these things. Then they can then they can manage their asset. If not, and then if let's say they sell the building, if they can turn over all that data and say, yes, these are all the systems and we maintain them all, you know, this whole time, this is what you're getting, new owner. You're going to buy mm-hmm. this building for $16 million, and this is what you're getting. We have all this data for you. We know exactly where everything is and what light fixtures we used and all that stuff. Okay. As built, as the contractor says, um, when the contractor's finished, typically the contractor is required 
to turn in what's called as-built drawings and drawings and, and, and um, specs too. Mm-hmm. So we specced this man, this manufacturer A for this light fixture, and everybody wanted it. Turns out we couldn't get it. It was a lead time of 18 months. Mm-hmm. So we used this other one instead that has slightly different specs. It looks pretty close. Everybody was happy with it, but we still had to swap it out. Mm-hmm. So the spec data down here said manufacturer A for the light fixture. The as-built shows that, no, we actually installed B. So now the owner knows what they act. So those as-builts are required for the contractor to say, this is what we did. Mm-hmm. This is what we actually built you. The as-managed data is saying, do I really care about that? Probably not. Some of it I do, some of it I don't. For example, concrete. Before you pour concrete or when you're pouring concrete, they take a little bit of the concrete and they do what's called a slump test. They pour, it's literally, they pour it in a cone and they watch it slump. Okay. And if it slumps too far, it means it's too wet. It's too, it's too gooey. Okay. It needs to have a certain consistency and the slump test works. They also will pour cores. So they have these little canisters. They'll pour concrete in the core. They'll go let it cure. And then they'll go test it to see if it meets the right PSI, which is the pounds per square inch. If that concrete is strong enough mm-hmm. and it passes the PSI, then they know, they know the concrete was good for this entire floor. They do one little, you know, or they might do three canisters. Usually it's one per truck. See those big concrete trucks coming in? Mm-hmm. So they'll, each one of them is going to pour a little canister and do a slump test. As an example, the, the as-builts are required so the building inspector and others can prove that the concrete is strong enough to hold the, hold, hold the building up. Mm-hmm. But you wouldn't use it to, you wouldn't manage that data. Yeah. Once it's done, you archive it and it's just sitting there. Nobody ever cares anymore. So mm-hmm. that's why there's as-built versus as-managed. What is as managed again? That would be like the building owner is going to manage the building, so they need to know what manufacturer of, of HVAC, lighting fixture, what do they have in their building? What is the, how many square feet do I have? What is my wattage um, and power intake per year? How often have the, the filters been changed? Mm-hmm. Um, you know what? Turns out um, these cool light fixtures, we've had to replace 20, 20 of them on each floor every three years since we bought this building we better go we better go look and let's not use those anymore they're obviously not a very good you know so that kind of data is the as managed data that helps the owner um, manage their building what is an example of phase specific data versus life cycle data um phase specific could be well the big one here that they're showing are design options Mm -hmm. so we presented three design options. We chose one, so two and three are phase specific, and we're just we 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 um, rejected those. Okay. So that would be kind of phase specific data. Okay. Um, we were looking at a whole bunch of co- uh, color schemes, you know. So we to to choose the brick, we looked at six different options. The one we chose is great. The other four, or whatever five, um, we might be interested in archiving that so in the future and hey you know we almost picked that red on the last building you know that kind of thing but mm-hmm. th- that would be phase specific but another one um that would be key here is like construction strategy options that's when you're deciding how are you gonna how are you gonna build it what's the schedule gonna be um is this gonna be where are you gonna put the crane where are you gonna all that stuff is stuff that you don't really care about later um so anyway, yeah. So that would be more phase specific. Okay. The head of 
design that I met at the BDNY breakfast panel, mm -hmm. what would matter to her here? Or does any of it actually even matter to her? I can see how as an owner, right. I would care about that, but as so a designer. I can think of two things. Mm -hmm. One, she cares about the gray because the owner does and the owner's her client. So the owner may say, I want you to provide me this data, therefore mm -hmm. she cares about it. But for her process, I mean, we could ask her, but um, she's gonna care about the data, that, like the stuff that they're picking during design, you know, the, the different interior materials, mm -hmm. uh, the di design layout, the codes that they're using, that kind of stuff. She's gonna be very interested in that because she's got a, that's her deliverable, mm -hmm. is a, a design that meets code. Um, and code is a lot of things. Um, you, even even materials, the codes talk about what kind of materials, what gypboard has to be, everything. This gray area, which is this gray colored thing on the chart, mm -hmm. that's the data that the owner is going to want to maintain. So the more that Folio could be the repository from that for that data from day one to the end, or integrate with other systems that have that data. Oh, I've heard it quoted that constructing the building is like a small percentage mm -hmm. the cost of it mm -hmm. as opposed to the maintenance for the next 50 or so years right. is that true i've seen those reports too i haven't dug into the research behind it like i'm sure it is but i don't know um but yeah i mean everybody accepts that as fact i just don't know i haven't dug in enough to tell you where that money is spent on a yearly basis you know, unless it's the mortgage and the interest you're paying, uh, you do pay for, I mean, see, it depends on what they're, it's, I don't know if they're comparing apples to apples, but if the owner of this building is charging rent, but they're also having to pay for lights and utilities and HVAC and water and internet and all, they're having to pay for all of this. Mm -hmm. If they pass it on down to the, through the rent, to me, it's like, well, yeah, you're paying all this money, but you're also making all this money. So it's not, it's, whereas construction, that's an upfront cost. Nobody's going to pay you back for that. That's money out of your pocket. The rest of the life cycle, is that money out of your pocket? I don't know. Yeah. Because it's a money-making machine. Yeah. And it depends on the building. So if it's, if it's a school, nobody's paying you back. That's taxpayer dollars that you got to pay. Yeah. Are they including operational costs like teachers? salaries yeah. probably not but they do have to maintain the building they gotta have a, a janitor or whatever to, and they gotta have a maintenance crew they gotta pay for the lights you know and the water and sewer but i don't know if it's really fair like if you had to pay all the utilities for a building for 50 years yeah that's a lot of money if i think about my house you know and what i pay for utilities alone you add that up yeah it probably is a pretty significant cost okay and then every few years, I'm going to have to pay a guy to come in and do plumbing work because I, the drain, some drain's not working yeah. or, you know, that kind of stuff, repairs. Um, a big topic for owners is they want to know what they're getting. They don't want to walk into a building and say, I thought, well, this isn't what I expected. I thought we bought these fixtures. I thought we bought this. I thought it was going to look like, I thought we choose, chose that color. Mm -hmm. Oh, no, 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 no. We swapped that out in design development. Well, how did I not know about that? Uh, okay. So visibility to the project at all stages. 
that's a catchphrase that's hard to say. I like to say things in direct terms. You want to know what you bought. You want to know what you're picking. You want to know what light fixtures you're picking. And at any point in time, you want to be able to jump in. And This is the pitch we gave with Overture, too, which is all door hardware. We're like, because the owners be flipping. They're simple things. Okay. A panic bar. You know what a panic bar is? So when you go, when you leave a building, there's a bar across the door mm-hmm. that you ha- that you can push, and it opens the door for you. Okay. They call it a panic bar. They call it an exit device now. But at the panic bar, it it was invented because there was a fire in Chicago, and they didn't have these, and everybody was trying to leave, and they crammed up against the door so tight it wouldn't open. They couldn't even turn the knob, and nobody could get in to turn the knob because they were crammed up, and all these people died. This guy who was supposed to go there, his last name was Von Duprin, he mm-hmm. said um, he was going to be at that theater that night. Mm-hmm. He ended up not going for whatever reason, and he saw this happen. He goes, we can do something better. So he invented what's called the panic bar. And it basically means that if a crowd hits this thing, it's going to open the door. The door is going to open. I'm getting detailed, but there's a reason. Yeah. You can also take a panic bar and do what's called dogging. So from the outside, people can't, the door's locked. Yeah. But if you hit the panic bar, it'll open. But in some cases, you want to set the panic bar to a permanently unlocked state. Mm-hmm. That's called dogging. I don't know why, it's a little key you use. And there's different ways mm-hmm. of dogging. There's different keys you can use, and some of it's electronic. If the owner, like Notre Dame has all of these dogging mechanisms everywhere. They want their maintenance people to be able to go to any building and dog or undog it however they want. Okay. So if suddenly they get the wrong panic bar with the wrong dogging mechanism, they're furious. This is a super detailed example because paint colors you just repaint. But if you buy a $5,000 panic bar and it doesn't have the right dogging mechanism, so now either, either you've got to buy a new one or the maintenance guy has got to carry two keys, two different keys, and remember which one goes where, over that life cycle, that's a that's a pain. That's lost cost. Yeah, yeah. So that's why they want visibility. They want to know exactly what they got. Not everything, but a lot of things. They do care about what they're getting. They want all their equipment to be trained because they have this deal with train. The technician comes out and he just services all their buildings for them. So if you suddenly buy a different manufacturer, now you've got to introduce a whole different maintenance program. And this is why when they say that. The, during the life cycle, there's all this cost. Mm-hmm. So imagine you were going to have just train come out and manage all your, your HVAC units, but now you've got two different types, so now you've got two different people to deal with for the life cycle of the building. It's that kind of thing. They want to know what they're getting. From an interior's point of view, we'd have to talk to interior designers to see more. Like I'm giving you architectural and sort of overall building examples. But does that make sense? Absolutely. So the blog, to me, I would say, you want to know what you're getting. The catchphrase is, you want visibility to your project. But, but what, the way I would say it is, you want to know what you're buying. You want to know specifically what you're buying. And you want to choose, like, you may not care about toilet fixtures. Yeah, it's just a toilet fixture, I don't care. But I do care about the faucets, let's say. So you want to be able to choose which things are important to you to watch. And if, if we can maintain that data, as much of it as we can so that in the end they, we just give it to them. Mm-hmm. Either they manage it in folio or they, they uh, push it over to their system. That would be a, a good topic.
This podcast was brought to you by Folio. Folio is a product specification, procurement, and data management software for the AEC industry. With Folio, you can manage your budgeting, specification, purchasing, inventory, and product data processes from end-to-end. Go to foholio.com and ask us for a free demo.